Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hey, you're listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Sanders, and we are here this episode to play a game. My contestants this week, two of Vulture's finest, Catherine Van Arendonk and Jesse David Fox. Hello to you both. Tell folks what y'all do at Vulture. Hello. Uh, Hi. I am Catherine. I am a critic, and I write about TV and comedy. Uh, I am Jesse. I uh, write about comedy, and I host Good One, a podcast about jokes. Uh, that's what I do. <laughs> Okay. So since both of you dabble in the comedic arts, I'm predicting mm-hmm. this is going to be the most fun edition <laughs> of this game ever in the history of this show. Yeah, that's how it works. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I should have said we're the two funniest people that Absolutely. have ever worked for the organization. Yep. There you have it. In fact, the last time the three of us were all together taping something, we were taping a pilot for this show that mm-hmm. was only heard by like 10 or 15 people. But if I recall correctly, we were discussing whether or not a big comedian is actually funny. (laughs) (laughs) You recall that? Oh, we remember. (laughs) Catherine and I were team they are, and you were team they are not. (laughs) Yes. I I feel like I can just say this to our listeners. I don't care. Come at me, bro. Um, Catherine and Jesse think that Gerard Carmichael is very funny. I don't get the (laughs) shtick. I really don't. And I think he's a wonderful, lovely man, sharp dresser, and very fun to look at. But um, he doesn't make me laugh as much as I want comedians to make me laugh. Sharp dressers. Oh, that's so cutting. So cutting, Sam. Great gowns, beautiful (laughs) gowns. Great gowns, beautiful (laughs) gowns. Uh, We don't have time to really get back into it, but if you want to. (laughs) I can see Jesse gearing up. He's ready. <laughs> well, he's host, he ho- he's hosted the Golden Globe since. Did you yes. find that funny? I found it funny how much he was just really mean to those rich white people. That was funny. Yeah, yeah. I am your host, Gerard Carmichael. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. And I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm here because I'm black. I mean, he was just like... I know why I'm here. You know why I'm here. I'm going to even tell you how much they paid me. Middle finger to all of you. Yeah. And I said, well, Avery, it's not about the money, honestly. It's about the, the moral question of whether I should allow. And she said, Gerard, do you, enough of that. How much are they paying you? And I said, $500,000. And she said, boy, 
if you don't put on a good suit and take them white people money. That was that, that actually was funnier than any special he's ever done. <laughs> there is a thing, you know, like he, he plays with the ideas of like what's true and what's real and how whatever. And there is a moment when he's like yelling at the people to shut up so he can get on with the show. I was like, that's who he is. <laughs> that is exactly who he is. That's not a performative. Yep. He's like actually annoyed at these people. <laughs> and that was like, wow, I can't believe that was part of him. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Man, I didn't think I'd spend this much time telling y'all to shut the fuck up. Well, I tell you what, this game we're about to play, it's going to be actually funny for everyone who listens. (laughs) I believe. But before we play this game, uh, we asked y'all in advance what the two of you are into right now this week. It could be whatever, a show, celebrity foolishness, a meme, whatever. Jesse, from what I've been told... You're really into a very classic show, long-running show this week. What's the show and why are you into it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, uh, when you said classic, I was like, it's not classic. It's currently going and it's vital. And it's this show but called still The classic. Simpsons. <laughs> like people, yeah, it's still I, classic, yeah. I think of this show nostalgically. I don't watch yes, it I, currently. No, of course. And, and I never, I kind of never stopped, but. The classics are classic. There's sort of this sense that there's sort of eight great seasons and like a couple pretty good ones and then like, okay, and then there's just sort of like this void of not being interesting. And then this season, which is season 34, is great. It's so season 34 is probably, in my opinion, one of like the top like vital seasons the show's ever done. And there's a lot of structural reasons why that happened, which is sort of they hired a bunch of young writers who are less reverent to the process. And then they, instead of having, for a while, one showrunner, and then the sort of two showrunners that sort of worked in parallel. And now they have sort of two king showrunners, but below them there are mini showrunners who will run certain shows, which gives each episode a level of care that you were not necessarily seeing in these latter seasons. Huh. And then, And then also, so as a result... They're, the the heartfelt episodes feel heartfelt again. There there's more ambition than you. Th- heartfelt. Heartfelt. Yeah. Okay. There's an episode about Bart that I think really reexamines the entire show's depiction of this character because I think though Bart was such an icon at the beginning, he was sort of less. He was treated less em- uh, empathetically than the other characters because he's like so rude or whatever, and I think. How he was parented was so defined how people like that were parented at that time. And, like, how we think about boys like that has changed. And they did an episode that was sort of like um, It's a Wonderful Life, kind of, but with Bart. So you see the Simpsons if they never met Bart. We weren't planning on starting a family when we had him. What if deep down we blame Bart for throwing our lives out of whack? That's the thing no one ever tells you. Having kids changes your life. I just wish so much that we could see him like other people do, without all the emotional gunk of 10 years of parenting him. And they're all happy and they're, everything's great. And then Bart shows up um, and you'll see oh, them. I'm going to start crying. You see them learn to appreciate Bart. We just couldn't wait to tell you something. We like you. We like our son so much. We just realized. I like you guys, too. Wait, what do you mean you just realized? I think it was the way, it was the show doing that in a way they sort of never have for that one character. But they also have these sort of like big swing comedic episodes. 
they had an episode about race that I thought was like pretty sensibly. Done. Are you saying? Are you saying the Simpsons got woke? Mm-hmm. I I am not saying that because that's not a sentence I say. But I'm sure that's what people who are mad at this season for whatever reason are saying. But like, it's partly they um, hired a bunch of new voice actors. Like, yeah. they uh, post George Floyd, they were like, "Oh, maybe we should have our black characters be voiced I by remember black actors." That. I remember that, and I remember being like in that moment. Thank you, Simpsons family. But also, that's not why we're in the streets protesting. <laughs> no, no. But, but I think you. what. But the byproduct is like they've done an episode. They did an episode with Carl. So the whole story. Carl, his name is Carl Carlson. He was adopted by an Icelandic family, but he dates a, a black woman and like is reckoning with the fact that he's never hung out in the black part of Springfield. Hmm. What about this old school Kangle? Dare I, Samuel Jackson, my new Denzel? What's my look? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, look, you can tell me. Is there something going on that you need to talk about? Psst, no! Oh, thank God. Is it the best episode ever? No, but I think it's like an interesting thing they're doing that is like shows a willingness to challenge what you're not expecting 34 years into a thing. Simpsons, I'm going to watch. Uh, Catherine, what are you into this week? Uh, I'm not. I'm not proud of this. Uh, it's not something that my mom is going to be able to tell her friends that I'm working on right now and feel good about. Mm-hmm. I'm also mm-hmm. not really working on it. I'm just sort of there observing it. I can't stop watching the Gwyneth trial. It's, oh, you and me both. You were wearing goggles, a helmet. Yes. Okay, kind of looked like everybody else on the slope. That's always my intention. Okay. Probably had a better ski outfit, though, I bet. So, like, there are some reasons that I feel less gross about this than I would most other legal proceedings. Okay, tell Uh, me why. Because by by and large, I generally feel like it's not a great thing that our justice system is, like, a form of entertainment for people to engage in. See, for example— all of police history in this country, but also like the Johnny Depp trial, which is like the worst possible mm-hmm. version of this exact thing. Here's what's different about the Gwyneth Ski trial. Uh, yeah. uh, there are no stakes. Not really. <laughs> and he has deterred you from enjoying the rest of what was a very expensive vacation. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. Uh-huh. Yes. Right. There are two main participants. It's Gwyneth Paltrow and this man named Terry Sanderson. He believes that she hit him on a ski slope. She believes that he hit her on a ski slope. They're both fine. Uh, If she has to pay him financial damages, she'll be fine. Fine. Um, And so, like, instead, and, like, I don't understand why any of them are actually in this in thing together at all. Like, I don't, I don't know why she didn't settle it. I don't know why. Like, so instead I'm just watching this bizarre legal proceeding full of these incredibly tight specific details about very yes. mundane, like who was farther up the hill? Like, this is the most important question of this entire legal proceedings. What I have discovered, I don't know a lot about skiing. What I've discovered is whoever was farther up the hill is the one who did it. And so it's well, just people. It's like with cars. Like the person who rear ends you is at yeah. fault, yes. even in skiing. Right. And so the question now is like, was the old optometrist behind Gwyneth yeah. and hit her? Or was he behind the optometrist and 
And, oh, Lord, I'm confused even saying it, but you get it. Yeah, well, and like the optometrist who's blind in one eye, by the way, blind in one eye and had cataract surgery in the other eye. And I just feel like, I mean, I don't, who am I? I? I don't know. But like every single time somebody comes on the stand and like the main question is who was higher up the hill? I just can't stop laughing. Well, what are we all yeah. doing? <laughs> if you do the calculations with the correct equations and only his mass... You get over 4,000 newtons when he lands, actually. Yes. Well, what I love, I mean, I, I don't love the injury, but sure. what I love is how qu- we are watching Gwyneth Paltrow play out a real life version of an HBO prestige drama. It is the the way in which she is so in character. Yeah. It's wild. She's dressing to the nines. She's complaining about missing half a ski day. She's talking about whether or not she's friends with Taylor Swift. Are you good friends with Taylor Swift? No. Prosecutor is asking her if she tips well. She's performing crazy rich lady. Yeah, I mean, I, it's I like would, it's written. It's a screenplay. I would I would correct and say to it feels to me like a Robert and Michelle King drama. Like it feels very very much like an episode of The Good Wife or The Good Fight, one of these oh. legal shows that is very tongue in cheek about its own sort of existence in this space um, because the stakes of it, because it just feels, it takes so little for it all to feel immensely silly. Uh, and that, and those shows are so good at like both keeping the legal mechanism of it going, but also being like, isn't this all absurd at the same time? This feels just like they can't even touch it now in whatever show they make. Yeah. Now they're making another lawyer show. They can't even touch this. It's like too perfectly packaged. It's I'm too sure, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I'm watching this trial and I'm realizing I feel about Gwyneth Paltrow the way I feel about Ja Rule. Mm. And that is, I don't care what they do. I'm going to like them. Ja Rule could <laughs> throw 17 awful fire ja fests. Yes. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow could bankrupt three ski resorts. I don't know why. I like her. I feel the opposite. I think I think okay. she's a snake oil salesperson who has <laughs> used her prestige career to launder like an incredibly unethical business. And for that reason, like I don't care that she has to sit in this bizarre legal proceeding, even though I secretly think she's probably right. I think the blind optometrist hit her on a hill. On that note, we're going to pivot to a game. I personally must admit, I'm into The Simpsons after hearing you defend it, Jesse. And I'm still so into this Gwyneth trial, Catherine. So I'm I, into both of them. I think yeah. you're saying I won the first round, the pre-round of the game. This is... Oh, wow. Wow. I think that's exactly what he said. No, it was exactly uh-huh, what he said. Uh-huh. Play the tape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the way, after we taped this, we got a verdict. Miss Goop herself, Gwyneth Paltrow, was found not liable. And I gotta say, I think that was the right decision. I think it was. All right, more of the game after the break. But first, an ask. We need your help. If you like this show and want to support it, please consider leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And also subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcast. I'd greatly appreciate it. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. (laughs) I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner! 
I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong, and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Let's play a game. It's called Into It, Not Into It. I believe this is both y'all's first time playing. I'll explain the rules. It's really simple. I share a few stories from the week of pop culture, and you just tell me if you're into it or not and why. And at the end, I will determine a winner based on how much I like or hate y'all's opinions. Cool. Great. Let's do it. First, are y'all into or not into a live-action hybrid adaptation of the Aristocats for the screen. Uh, Into it. Why? Okay. Why? (laughs) Because it's like, you know, we're having fun here. Someone, because Questlove, I believe, is directing it, correct? Yeah. So Questlove Questlove went into a meeting with the, you know, the president of animation. They saw his Summer of Soul movie. They're like, what is your dream project? And then Questlove, <laughs> the respected author, drummer, producer, uh, and it was like, okay, my blank check I'm going to be using to make a live-action Aristocats movie. That's so cool. That is freaking rock star. I he will can say. do anything. Not only can he do anything, he doesn't have to do this at all. He has yes. a day job. Yeah. Catherine, what about you? I... I would love for the sake of contrariness to argue that I am not into it. Um, but in this case, I, I am into it. <laughs> and the reason that I'm into it, uh, I mean, Jesse's Jesse's explanation of Questlove. Like, I also have a relative amount of faith in the idea that Questlove might be able to save this from being what all of the Disney, like, live action remake projects have been, which is, like, boring nightmare fodder. <laughs> um, so, you know, mm-hmm. if he exits this, then I would like to rescind this into itness like, a thousand percent. <laughs> but I have children. I have to watch kids programming. I want there to be good kids programming. (laughs) They like cats. They like musicals and they like cats. This is like a home run in my house (laughs) if it can be good. So I'm into it. My thing with this is in general, I think Disney is a bad, bad, bad company. And I think them rebooting all their IP is actually bad for art and the movie TV landscape. But I'll say this. Questlove has great taste. And if he's doing it, 
I trust him. Have y'all, Summer of Soul, even just like Questlove earned the Summer of Soul just for the yeah. opening montage yeah. of that movie. He's so good at this. He's like, he's a great musician. He's just as good as a filmmaker. Yeah. So Absolutely. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. For those listening at home who have no idea what this movie is, um, this is a description of the movie from Deadline. Quote, the film is based on the 1970 animated pic about a family of Parisian felines who learn they are set to inherit a fortune from their owner. When the owner's jealous butler kidnaps them and leaves them in the country, they must team up with a smooth-talking tomcat to try to make it back home before it's too late. Who should voice the tomcat? Mm. I mean, it's going to be like Leslie Odom Jr., but um, <laughs> who should do it? Ja Rule. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Lord, please make it so. Mm-hmm. Please make it so. Yes. Just freaking yes. cats roaming around Paris. I'll, yeah. I'll watch that on a plane. I'll watch <laughs> that. Are the songs from the classic good? I have seen that movie, but it's been so long. Are the I, songs it's good? been a while since I've seen it, too. I now desperately need to revisit it because also just like hearing you read the log line again, I was like, <laughs> this this fucks, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everybody, everybody, everybody wants to be what movie, what Disney movie do y'all least want to see brought back from the dead? <sighs> oh hmm. I have to remember every single Disney movie and what has not already been done. Truly, like most of them have. I mean, I guess the ones that bother me the most are the ones that feel like the body isn't even cold yet, you know? <laughs> like Aladdin. Yeah, Aladdin, that pissed right. me Right, well, off. like, it's just, it, if it has come out any time within the last decade and then you start to get like, let's do a live action remake of it or whatever, this is exhausting to me. Like any Pixar movie, there should never be a live action remake of, I think. Agree. Is, yeah. I'm also going to say, let Song of the South lie. Sure, yeah. Don't ever bring sure. that yeah, back. Yeah, that's one. That Don't one ever seems bring fair. But that honestly, seems... when you started the question, I thought you were going to say, which one do we most want to? And I literally was like, I kind of want to see, like, even if they're all bad, see what? I would like to see the trailer for almost all of them. I want to <laughs> see the trailer for what if they do Hercules. I definitely want to see what the trailer for a hunchback of Notre Dame one would be like. <laughs> oh, I want to see an Emperor's New Groove. I was like, where's the live action remake of Freaking, uh, the, what's the musical thing called? Fantasia. They should do a Fantasia. <sighs> this is, oh. no, no, boo, none of this. You don't want. They should not, no. New generations no. need to know I about classical Fantasia, music. But I want all those classical songs from Fantasia to be remixed and reimagined by like Pharrell. Hmm. Sure. And it should feature Fantasia Burrito. <laughs> In the times since the last Fantasia, there's been a new, there's been another her. famous Fantasia. I do love her. <laughs> I do love Fantasia. Oh, anywho, moving on. <laughs> Just imagine her singing Summertime. Love a Fantasia reference. Love a Fantasia reference. <laughs> God, imagine. <laughs> I want it. It do. <laughs> okay, gotta move on. Gotta move on. Gotta move on. Number two, are y'all into or not into that fake photo of Pope Francis where he's wearing a very stylish puffer jacket, like supreme hype beast levels of swag? Have you seen it? Mm, yes, yes. Ooh. I thought it was real for days. Yeah. I. <laughs> yeah, or nay. I <laughs> am. Me. 
I'm gonna have to say that I am not into it. First of all, I don't think it's oh, go- I don't think it's good on. to make Catholicism look that good. I don't think <laughs> I think the Pope looks too swag. I think it's not. I think it's uh, it, trying to draw children into a, a cult um, that I think they need to be turned away from. So there's like on that level of it. <laughs> then of course yes, you get yes. into like the major AI ramifications of like what happens when you know these images and nobody can misinformation and like the very fabric of reality is crumbling all around us and you know those <laughs> those issues um which i do find uh-huh. myself feeling uh, concerned about as i mentioned once again i have children and it's sort of nice to be able to point to things and be like see that's real and that one's not and it's it bothers me um the the thing that i am into is the coat itself i would like to wear <laughs> it's a nice the coat. coat um but like as an image no how do we describe this for listeners? It's the Pope looking like the Pope. Yeah. But he has this all white puffer jacket. That's belted. That is like it's a, just swagalicious. Yeah, it looks actually not unlike the, um, the corset puffer that Anne Hathaway wore at the most recent Sundance, except it's white instead of black. Um, <laughs> wow. But it is also in like semi-silhouette. So it's not just that it's like he's wearing this cool coat. It's like the entire image is like, what if Pope, but cool, right? <laughs> yeah. And that I, I just find that is kind it's of cringe. deeply- I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. Jesse? I'm into it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like bad for the world that yeah, this stuff happens. Sure. But there's a lot of things like this that are bad for the world. It's nice that this is one of the examples along the way. Like this is a fun version of the sort of doom, like foretelling of our uh, future demise. And I also think it is useful because I don't think, despite the... Many examples of proof of this happening, of the sort of like erosion of the idea of reality. This people don't pay attention. Where this one was like a time where it felt like everyone both saw this happen, then learned it was fake, and then had to process that information. And like, we have to process that information. We need to figure out how to uh, rebuild society and, uh, you know, maybe via organized religion. (laughs) Yeah, Jesse's out here and he's like he's like embracing the asteroid that's hurtling. It's like it's embracing our society. It breaks nice... our society. We remake ourselves, right? Yeah, I am. A, yes. I'm like Thanos or whatever. Yeah. I think we need to wow. start again, led by the cool Pope wearing big coat. And in some ways, it's okay. an optimistic image, right? It's like global warming. What? No, no. it's a ripoff. It's a ripoff of it's HBO's Young Pope. We did this already. <laughs> question, question, follow-up question: Are y'all more or less into Pope Francis and the fake swag puffer? If I were to tell you that the person who made this AI image uh, told BuzzFeed that he was tripping on shrooms okay, well, when he came up with the idea for the image, so I mean, my- that's neutral. That's no, just... <laughs> I went into this game planning on saying into it to every single thing you said, but that guy, I don't like that guy. That's not a type you of... You don't like that guy? I don't like a type of guy that says that. I don't like a guy who goes to BuzzFeed to answer questions about this thing they did and then said I was tripping on shrooms and then we, I have to learn about this. Um, <laughs> what if that was just his journey? They asked him. They reached out to him. Yeah, yeah. I guess all of it is just... I don't... I don't want to watch Adam McKay movies when I go to the movies. I don't want to live Adam McKay movies in terms of, like, everything is so rando and weird. It's just, like, too many buzzwords in that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> okay. So you're it's less into it 2023. Now. Wow. Everything <laughs> slow down. Everyone go to church. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Fine, God. So, Catherine, are you more or less into this when I tell you about the shrooms of it all? This, uh... I, I, again, it just felt, um, it felt neutral. It just feels like, yeah, d- duh. Like I, yeah. you know. Duh. Of course he was high. <laughs> yeah. Of course he was high. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. One more. Are y'all into or not into Mike Fleiss, the creator of the Bachelor franchise, leaving I'm extremely after more than two decades. Extremely into this. Get that man. Okay, tell me why. Get that man away from this franchise. Now, would I be even more into it if they were like, guess what? Bachelor's done. We finished it. We got it. We we nailed it, guys. Let's move on. Like, yes, I would be more <laughs> into that. But they're not going to do that. And so instead, the option is like, it continues like this zombie franchise that it has been for the past several years, embracing this past that, like, we have moved, like, the world has changed so much since this show came out. <laughs> and in particularly, it has changed about, like, dating and gender and what reality TV is. Like, and these race. Are, these are, like, huge ways that we are all very different as society. And the show has not figured out how to negotiate that kept up. at all. Um, and so bringing in new people to make it who might actually be able to rethink it, I don't know to what extent they're actually going to have any kind of creative license to do that. Nevertheless, you got to get him out and you got to figure out some new way. Otherwise, we're, you know, it just continues to be this gaping wound on the reality TV programming schedule. All right. Jesse, what about you? I'm into it. Um, (laughs) I have no opinion about this show or this person, if they did a good or bad job, but it's nice. That means someone else is going to get this job and then someone else is going to get that person's job and then someone's going to get that person's job and (laughs) all the way down. And that means someone who was a PA is now going to have like a full job on the show. That's like a good entry point for them to work in unscripted television. Maybe that person is going to create the show (laughs) that saves us. Wow. What a hopeful vision. Damn. So into it. I will say I'm into this guy leaving. I'd also be into the entire Bachelor franchise just stopping (laughs) for the same reasons that Catherine has listed. This show has not kept up with the times. Also, this guy, Mike Fleiss, he's not a good dude. No. Um, In 2019, he was accused of attacking his pregnant wife. Um... Also, remember the host, Chris Harrison? Oh, I he remember. had to resign after oh, charges remember, of racism. Sam. And then there were allegations of assault and racism on set over the years. This is not a good franchise. No. Let's just wrap the whole thing up and start over again, mm-hmm. is what I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, people need to find love. So I want it around. But Go on, Love is that, Blind. Do Love is yes. Blind instead. Netflix is actually doing better love reality TV right now. Although I have started watching Love Off the Grid. Mm-hmm. That show is wild. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Do y'all think overall, pound for pound, that Bachelor Nation was good or bad for TV itself? I am not prepared for what is actually a relatively complicated issue, Sam. Um, <laughs> uh, for I mean, look, you can't. There's like fandom exists outside of this particular franchise. So it's not like you could say that if you were to pull out Bachelor Nation and like, you know, excise it from the world that we we would have solved issues of toxic fandom. I actually think oh never mind, I've decided. Um Bachelor, <laughs> okay. Bachelor Nation is uh 
even though they have supported the continuation of this toxic um, franchise, Bachelor Nation is still the on, on balance a good thing because okay. every single time one one of these terrible things has happened it is the wrath of the fandom that they end up having to answer mm. to like it is not because someone at abc was like oh no i feel so bad it's because every time somebody's like oh by the way you cast a racist again on this show it's because the fans show up at these screen they get so mad um it becomes this huge backlash the the like bachelor data instagram accounts even the like Nick Vile podcast, which I'm not a huge fan of, but like he asks reasonably interesting questions sometimes about like why this thing is so t- like the spinoffs have created their own kind of culture that does check them sometimes. And so, you know, given that fandom was inevitable, I think Bachelor Nation's been been pretty good. OK, OK. Jesse, what about you? You know, ever since 9-11, we <laughs> oh, as a culture. Wow, 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 been- wow. We have been in search of community as we've all lost yeah. faith. <laughs> yeah. And so as a person who doesn't watch this show and knows nothing of what Catherine's talking about, I am happy for people to find people that they feel they could be connected to as we, you know, surge towards this sort of like hyper reality um, of the future. So it's good because it seemingly makes people feel less alone. And that's uh, really essential to be able to live as a person on sure. Earth. <laughs> Not getting existential with the Bachelor franchise. That's how we do it. Look, you invited us on. Yeah, this is on you, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On that note, we've reached the end of the game. I have to decide who won this game, and I'm going to need some help from the Intuit team that has been listening this whole time. Someone tell me who won, because I don't know. My editor says Jesse wins on his optimism Mm. in the face of unrelenting despair. Oh, that's nice. We're going to do a hand recount later, USA. but for now, you the uh, interim winner, Jesse. Congratulations. <laughs> Acceptance speech? Yeah, I was not expecting to care if I won. Mm. And then when you win, you're like, oh, actually, this is much better. It's not an honor just to be nominated. It's much better to win. Yeah. If I didn't win, I would never think about it. But now that I win, it's going to be like my Twitter bio. Beat wow. Catherine in an Intuit contest. What if, though, what if Jesse is the Jamie Lee Curtis of the situation and Catherine is an Angela Bassett? Mm. And, um... What, I don't even know what that know? Two what great No, it, it means Jessie? Angela maybe should have won. Come on. <laughs> Catherine Van Arendonk did the thing. <laughs> oh, God, no. I don't know if I want that in the universe. <laughs> yeah. Catherine Van Arendonk did the <laughs> no. thing. And Jesse won into it. All time winner. <laughs> Most points ever scored. Listen, I Update want. Update the wiki. <laughs> Update the wiki. Culture Geist. Culture Geist. You're listening to Culture Geist. Culture Geist. I don't know, y'all. And now for a segment we're calling Culture Geist. About all the things we can't stop thinking about. The culture that's haunting you. Haunting me. Haunting all of us. For better or worse. Hey Sam. Um, My name is Iris. I live in California. And my culture geist is 
a single line of dialogue from the HBO show Girls. It's from season two, episode four. It's a shame about Ray, in which Hannah has invited folks over for a dinner party at her apartment. Thank you. Yeah, so I thought I would use that money to make some people that I love very happy. So I bought all organic, and I am making pad thai. And among her guests are her best friend Marnie and Marnie's ex and his current girlfriend. So what are you up to, Marnie? I heard you were looking for a job. Oh, no, actually, I've been hosting at the Wedgebrook Club. Yes, you're hosting like a slam poetry night or like an open mic night type thing? I'm a hostess. Oh, so when people come to the restaurant, you like show them what their table is. Yes. Got it. And naturally, this is very awkward. And so when a conflict ensues, Hannah... um, self-centered host that she is commands everyone to continue to have a ball and then says kind of quickly under her breath after taking a bite of the pad thai that she's made i love what i made grow up Uh, excuse me i am grown up that's why i cooked all this food honestly no one pay that any mind she does this all the time just continue to have a ball we don't need to stop talking I love what I made. The scene just kind of like rolls right over that line. It keeps going, but it's so funny to me, the concept of someone declaring so plainly that they love the food that they made at a dinner party. And yet the honesty of it is um, kind of beautiful too. And that line has just reverberated quite large in my household over the past like five years. We say it almost every day. You make a delicious meal. Mm, I love what I made. You make like kind of a mistake with the food you made, but it's going to be okay anyway. I love what I made. You uh, dress the kids in a funny looking outfit. I love what I made. I love what I made. So yeah, I think we all could just like take a little piece of Hannah Horvath's blind confidence into our lives and um, be healed from that. And um, yeah, as for this voice memo, I love what I made. Hi, Sam. My name is Ross. Um, I'm living in Berlin and I had a culture guys moment. So I started off with Wordle. I've been getting more and more into playing these uh, online crossword type games. So I moved on from Wordle to the New York Times mini crossword because the large crossword is too difficult. And it's fine. I can complete the crossword, three minutes. It makes sense to me. Everything's fine. So then some days I feel like I want a little bit more. So I tried the Washington Post mini crossword. And the level of difficulty is off the charts. I can't even get a single answer sometimes. I don't know who is answering these complicated questions and it's a mini crossword, it's meant to be easy. So I just don't understand why the Washington Post and the New York Times have gone down such different routes. Why does the Washington Post want to be so elitist in its horrible mini crossword that I can't possibly complete? Um, Who's doing this crossword? Who enjoys the Washington Post mini crossword? That's what I want to know. Hi, Sam. This is Phoebe. I'm calling from Australia. My culture geist is the Celine Dion classic song. It's all coming back to me now. 
I should share a fact about myself with you. I'm a lawyer. And so I listen to this song and I hear the lyrics. There were things I'd know. Ne- <laughs> Sorry, I'm very sleep deprived. Uh, I hear the lyrics. There were things I'd never do again, but then they'd always seemed right. There were nights of endless pleasure. It was more than any laws allow. And I always think, this sex is more than any laws allow. That that seems problematic, Celine. And then it always puts me in the thought pattern of trying to figure out which laws I'm comfortable with Celine breaking for this endless pleasurable sex. And I always come to that I would be fine if she's just having outdoor sex and it's some kind of indecent exposure. So then I imagine the video clip with the dramatic lightning storm and they're having sex outside. I think in the video he's dead, not sure that, or maybe a ghost. So maybe she's having some kind of ghost sex outside and she gets, she's risking getting arrested. Anyway, I thought I'd share that with you and thank you again for your last episode. Bye. Thanks again to Phoebe, Ross, and Iris. Listeners, do you have a culture geist? A thing in the culture that's been haunting you for days or weeks or even years? Share it with us. The more specific you are, the better. Just send us a short voice memo via email, intuit at vulture.com. Intuit at vulture.com. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, Jelani Carter, and Taka Zinn. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hokeman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And Hannah Rosen is the head of audio at New York Magazine. All right, we are back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Till then, be good to yourselves. All right, bye. Love what I made.